This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. Hey, Chad, how are you? Doing all right, Katie. How about you? Pretty good. We've had our first real uh, snaps of winter here, so I am uh, feeling the holiday season. I'm trying not to let Christmas sneak up on me too soon. Yeah, we've had a little bit of chilly weather. It's mostly just been rainy kind of stuff, though. I think it's supposed to be warm a couple of days this week. So we haven't officially hit winter here in Texas, but we're, we're getting closer. <laughs> so let's just dive right in. Um, you want to tell us some of our stats about initiation, our first episode for today? Sure. So this episode aired on October 19th of 2006, was directed by their director of photography, Randall Einhorn, and was written by B.J. Novak. In initiation, Dwight is taking Ryan out on his first sales call, or so Ryan thinks. A very excited Dwight drives Ryan into his beet field with presumably no sales call to be made. Dwight makes Ryan complete a number of tests, making him prove his worth and right as a salesman. Meanwhile, in the Scranton office, it's pretzel day. Stanley and Michael's very favorite day at the office. There is a very long line in which Michael spends a good portion of his day waiting. Pam spends her day trying to get Michael to be productive, and he's just not having it. Dwight and Ryan do eventually make it to their sales call, which ends rather quickly, and the day ends with an unexpected phone call. Jim calls the Scranton office, meaning to go through to voicemail, but Pam answers. More on that later. Yeah, so after the cold open in the opening credits, we see Michael continuing to try to be pleasant with Jan, despite the fact that she is continuing to be just awful to him. I mean, to be fair, she does just want him to do his job, but she's extremely prejudiced against him and is just less lenient with any sort of mistakes or laziness than she ever has been at this point. Yeah, the fact that we don't get a whole lot of lead up into her asking Pam to keep an hourly log of Michael's activities. Um, Presumably, she has asked him several times to be more productive, and that's why we see her ask Pam. But uh, yeah, her patience is waning. Remember in the last episode, I think, it was Dwight who said that Jan had been extra uh, witchy (laughs) uh, to Michael recently. (laughs) Um, and that definitely seems to be continuing. And I was just curious, do you think that Michael is right in his assumption that Jan's jealous of him and Carol being together? Um, if she is, which in a way, yes, I think she is, especially given her behavior after casino night at the end of episode, at the end of season two. But I don't know if at this point she's letting it affect her work. With Michael, I don't know, um, because I there was a funny bit where um, she asks, at the very beginning, she asks Michael, so what have you done today? Or what did you do this week? And Michael says, oh, oh, not a lot. How about you? And she goes, I, I don't care how your day has been. I'm asking what you did. And he <laughs> says, fine, you know, I, I slept with Carol. Is that what you want to hear? He's like, I don't care how your day went either. right right so i i don't know i mean michael definitely seems to think that but i don't know that jan really cares enough about it at this point what do you think 
I think that she has always treated him awfully. Like Pam says in her short talking head, Jan normally treats Michael like a 10 year old, but lately it's been like he's five. And so I think that she's always been tough on him, but the, the romance side of things when she was finally willing to sort of give in a little bit to her impulses, uh, and he chose Carol instead. I think that might have pushed her a little bit further closer to the edge as far as treating Michael any certain way. Um, but I definitely don't think it's 100% jealousy. It's just a factor. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And poor Pam is basically any, any duties that she has as a receptionist today are completely uh, taking the back burner because she has to keep this itemized list of Michael's activities hour by hour instead of doing her job. <laughs> and so we see her down in the pretzel line, you know, kind of subtly hinting to Michael, hey, maybe it's a really a better idea that you not wait in this line right now because I'm assuming she can't tell Michael that she has to make this list and she's trying to say, hey, I don't want to get you in trouble. Right, or at least... Uh, do work while you're in line is what she's trying. I mean, she still wants the best for Michael. She's basically being forced to spy on him for Jan and for corporate, but she's not dishonest. And so she's going to be truthful. And she is, as she shows the camera throughout the day, he uh, did a Bill Cosby impression here and he waited in pretzel line here and she's honest about it, but she, she's trying to convince Michael to be productive so she can be honest and not, bury him in a hole either um i mean she does end up lying for him after he has his sugar high and subsequent crash um, <laughs> but then we find out shortly thereafter at the end of the episode that michael uh time and time again proves that he does have a certain skill set and a moderate level of competency when it comes to getting work done um he he manages to secure a large sale with uh Coselli, uh, you know, him and Jim weren't really all that different in that way. I was thinking while watching today, you know, back in office Olympics, back in early season two, Jim had that one day where they had fun and they played games all day, but he still managed to finish his expense reports and he closed two sales and he said, yeah, about as productive as any other day. And Michael manages the same thing here, whether it's Coselli with the jello or whether it's hammer of mill back at the convention uh, early in season three when he was trying to throw a hotel party uh, at the same time. So, I mean, he just proves over and over again that yes, he is tough to focus. Yes. He goofs off a lot. Yes. He, he distracts others, but yes, also he gets work done. More and more, the more I watch this show, I, I, have to think that Michael is a way better salesman than he is manager. And I never really picked up on that in my several previous viewings, I guess, because I wasn't watching with such attention to detail like I do now. But he his strengths lie in sales for sure. Yeah. Uh, closing those big clients because Hammer Mill back in the convention was a pretty huge client, too, because they were previously exclusive with Staples. So, yeah, when it comes to sales, he's definitely... Uh, top notch and it's it is the the managing that he struggles with but like i said he does get work done moving on to ryan and dwight a little bit um so ryan has a little talking head where he says it's time to either commit to the job or get out of the job so he's taking a step into commitment 
and agrees, well, doesn't even really agree, asks Dwight to take him on a sales call. And Dwight takes such delight in this. He is actually really excited about it. And um, I think genuinely wants to make a new friend in Ryan. Um, And he even tells Ryan, you know, Jim and I didn't get along that well, but I wanted that to be different with you. And I thought that was a an unexpected moment of um, decency for Dwight. Of course, he handles it all wrong and, you know, almost misses the sales call and scares Ryan and weirds him out. But I think he meant well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, he, he does take the genuine interest in teaching and befriending Ryan. And to him, to Dwight, all of this stuff makes perfect sense, like. This obviously you have to go through this to prove your salesman. That's what I did. I imagine. Uh, I don't know for sure, but it it just seems like it. Everything clicks in Dwight's head. Like obviously, if he goes through all of this, he'll prove that we can be friends and buddies and partners and go make sales calls together all the time. And he's vulnerable. He's honest with Ryan when he says that. Yeah, I didn't get along with Jim, and I wanted us to be a team. And. We meet Moe's for the first time, I should point out. We meet Moe's, played by Michael Schur, who's a producer and writer for the show, and it's our first visit to Shroot Farms, I believe. And uh, he says, Moe's is my best friend and always has been. We grew up together. He lives here. But if this thing whole, this whole thing works out with Ryan, then I won't be spending as much time with Moe's. So Dwight's really banking a lot on this, this <laughs> initiation that he has set up for Ryan. And uh, though it makes sense in Dwight's head, rarely do things that make sense in Dwight's head make sense in other people's head. There's a great moment, which probably is left better for the funny moments, but I think it's worth mentioning here um, that Ryan is actually pretty astute as well. And he, in one of Dwight's tasks or challenges or whatever, um, he makes Ryan guess what Michael's greatest fear is. And Ryan guesses loneliness and maybe women, which (laughs) is probably exactly right and it's funny how those conflict with each other too yeah right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i i did think it was interesting on ryan's part that he did finally choose to take an interest in the company um or maybe he just didn't want to go through the trouble of finding another place to work now that he is full-time maybe if he was still a temp after a year he would have sought out work elsewhere but he he did decide to just go all in on Dunder Mifflin and ask Dwight. And there's a deleted scene, I think, where he's like hammering himself in the face uh, during a talking head saying, he's the best salesman in the company. He's the best salesman in the company. He's the best salesman. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I, I'm having to go along with so much crap, but he is the best salesman. So clearly I'm going to have to walk away with something out of this, right? Um, but there's this really poignant moment where Ryan has been abandoned in the field and he walks around and he finds the barn and Dwight comes out of the barn and congratulates him. Congratulations, resourceful salesman. And Ryan starts to quit. He says, I've had enough of this. I'm going home. And Dwight gets real with him for a second. He says, listen, you haven't been successful yet because you think you know everything already and you don't listen to anybody else. Maybe you should consider for a second that you have something to learn and that Somebody else can teach you. And Ryan um, concedes. He says, okay, let's let's proceed. And it was just a moment where Dwight was being really real. And I think Ryan was being really honest with himself uh, for a moment and saying, you know what? Dwight is right. This is something I need. Maybe I can learn something at the end of this. 
And he does. Um, when they're heading away from the uh, from Shroot Farms and they're heading towards the sales call, again, Dwight almost made them miss the sales call. He kind of forgot about it in all of this chaos. And he starts sort of spewing out actually really good sales advice. And it takes Ryan by surprise. And he says, wait, can, can you go back? Can you say that again? And pulls out his notepad and starts taking notes. And Ryan's actually excited to learn from Dwight in this pep talk. Um, turns out the sales call didn't quite go as planned. They, yeah. uh, the company says to Ryan's face that they don't like him. But I think this was a big moment for Ryan. Um, a little humbling moment, which was good, which was nice. And Dwight talks with him after the failed sales call and says, you know, not everything's a lesson. Sometimes you just fail. And as tough as that can be and that sounds, I think it's a pretty good life lesson um, because sometimes you can do everything right and things just don't go your way. I mean, literally, you win some, you lose some. So the best you can do is be prepared, face the world uh, with confidence and sometimes you'll fall on your face you just gotta stand up and keep going and that's basically what dwight is saying there poignant moments brought to you by a comedy that's always yeah <laughs> that's always good when it when a comedy can uh actually instill some good life advice while it's at it of course right after that is when ryan takes the eggs and eggs the front of the company and dwight's right. <laughs> cheering him on and joins in and then they go to a bar and they they both or Ryan downs a Jaeger bomb. Dwight completely fails. He starts cheering. He says, temp, temp. And then he catches himself and he changes it and he starts cheering Ryan. So they have proceeded slightly in their relationship with each other, which is a great way to end their arc over the episode. I wanted to talk about Pam a little bit in this episode. Well, really, or really just Pam and Jim. Yeah. So as I talked about a little bit in the uh, episode recap, Jim calls the main line of the office. It's it's pretty far after five. I think it's about 5.20, 5.30. Everyone should be gone, but Pam had to stay late to kind of help Michael and help him be uh, a little bit more productive than he has been today. So she's still at the office late. Jim calls the main line, hoping to get through to Kevin, but it turns out Pam answers the phone. And it starts out really awkwardly. They don't know what to say to each other. Pam thinks they're in different time zones. But it eventually gets out of that awkward, hey, how are you, small talk, weather talk. But they get back a little bit to their friendship and they're, and they're joking around. And we don't get a, a look at the time, but I feel like that was a long phone call. And then, of course, it ends so horribly. I think in the commentary, BJ Novak, who wrote the episode, mentioned something about a three-hour phone call. And right. it's not confirmed within the episode, but... I mean, he wrote it, so <laughs> I think it's safe to assume that they just <laughs> talked for a really long time. Um, both of them, when they leave, are completely alone in their respective offices. And it's interesting seeing the mindset of where they were before the phone call and then how they ease into that old familiar friendship. Because Jim has been having a day of another day of having fun with Karen. Um, she's been trying to steal his chair because hers is squeaky and then at the end of the day, he switches or they switch her squeaky chair with Andy's and they're having a good laugh over that. But then when he's inter uh, when, when he talks with Pam, he's interrupted. And it's really the first time we've seen them talk since the kiss. It may have been the first time they've talked since the kiss at the end of Casino Night. Um, and 
Pam has been dealing with Michael all day. So this was, it, it could have escalated into further stress just depending on how the phone call proceeded, but they did ease into that, that level of friendship and it was just settling into the groove and having fun with each other and teasing each other about stuff like typing speeds and all that kind of stuff. It, it's a really refreshing moment to, to have the two of them bonding together again without the drama of an upcoming wedding and jealousy and stuff like that. And of course, how this ends always makes me just crawl out of my skin. Um, Ryan and Dwight are leaving the office because they had, they had come in towards the end of Pam's conversation with Jim. And then they leave right, uh, pretty much right after that. And Pam is saying goodbye to them. And Jim thinks she's saying goodbye to him. And so he says, oh, uh, oh yeah, okay, I guess I'll talk to you later. And Pam tries to save it. And it's already too late. They kind of cut the flow of the conversation. They're hanging up now. And neither one of them wants to hang up. But they both kind of have to at this point. And it's just kind of painful. And I think you see them both, after they hang up, miss the other one. I mean, you just see them miss the miss their friend yeah to me jim almost looked a little bit hurt that she ended it so abruptly um and she just seemed sad i mean i'm sure there was a lot of emotions going through them but just the look on their face jim was like oh well okay i I guess things haven't really changed uh was sort of the mindset that i read from his face at least it was it's just a sad ending i mean we we get so comfortable with them being buddies again for a little bit and then it's just cut off and nothing's changed really. Before we move on to funny moments, I just wanted to mention mention one more small character thing from Angela because we get this rare moment of her actually trying to comfort somebody. Um, Kelly is worried that Ryan hasn't come back from the sales call yet. And of course it's because Dwight is with him and is taking him through all these initiation trials at Shroot Farms Angela sitting with her like grabs her hand and reassures her and says hey Dwight is watching out for him things are going to be okay but Kelly calls Dwight weird <laughs> and then the the moment is ruined and Angela gets defensive and angry and storms off and that's the end of that I just thought it was a, a rare sweet moment from Angela but then it's same old same old by the end of it yeah without giving anything away we do see it a few of those moments with, with Angela um, over the whole arc of the series where she tries to make connections with people and then kind of fails. But it was nice that she was sticking up for Dwight at the very least. Right. Now, what made you laugh in this episode? You know, this one and Diwali, which are next, um, which is next. I, I didn't have a whole lot. Not that they're not funny as always, but just kind of darker episodes um the first one that got me was when jan is coming out of michael's office and she's just irritated with him and she says to pam hi pam and pam says hi and jan says i'm great (laughs) 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 just cutting the cutting or ripping the band-aid off so to speak uh let's get this over with and she's just so annoyed um another little moment towards the beginning of the episode was when Dwight is trying to kind of hype Ryan up for the sales call, Dwight says, so you excited? Ryan says, yeah, very excited. Yes, I'm very excited. Extremely excited. 
just just very okay that's cool <laughs> like he's just really excited to get ryan out there which is sweet he's he's genuinely excited and we don't see dwight um excited for an innocent reason very often we we first get the the dwight and ryan relationship in this episode in the cold open where dwight is trying to bond i guess before the sales call and is telling these riddles or brain teasers uh, stuff like I have two coins totaling 15 cents and one of them is not a nickel. What are they? The answer, a diamond and a nickel. Uh, and Dwight says, no, I said one of them is not a nickel, Ryan said, but the other one is. I've heard that before. And this continues, Dwight trying to tell these brain teasers and Ryan just starts interrupting them because he already knows the one that he's going to tell next. And it's just this funny shutdown after shutdown, Ryan interrupting Dwight to to spoil his fun. Um and later in the episode at Shroot Farms, when they first arrive and have planted the seed, um, Dwight gives one of his all-time best lines <laughs> and says, And just as you have planted your seed in the ground, I am going to plant my seed in you. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And Ryan responds uh, something like, You don't know what you're saying. <laughs> um, and in the commentary, they mentioned that that was a Rain Wilson line that BJ Novak didn't didn't initially want to put in the episode, and he admitted that he was very wrong. And it's yes. probably the most quoted quoted uh, line from this episode by far. Yeah, for sure. Um, another funny moment for me was when Jim, uh, to retaliate against Karen for squeaking her chair behind him, uh, sings "Love Fool" by the Cardigans, um, and she she says, "Come on, stop! That's going to get stuck in my head all day." And she said, this is not a, this is not a proportionate response. (laughs) And Jim wins the battle as far as that goes. She, she was trying to annoy him into confiscating or to, uh, handing over his chair. And, uh, he retaliated with an annoying song. (laughs) One of my favorite, well, it's not even really a favorite moment. I just think we need to talk about this a little bit more, which is Moe's. Um, we get a whole 30 seconds of Moe's or less maybe, but I cannot get enough of him. Every time he's on screen, he has my whole attention. And one of my favorite lines from this episode is when Ryan is refusing to get in the car with Dwight. He's walking alongside and, and Dwight pulls the car up and is trying to apologize. And he says, Moe said he's sorry. He sent over a basket with some eggs and some back fat bacon and look, something he whittled. And it's this <laughs> little figurine of a very overweight woman. Just <laughs> this like squat little handheld figure. It's just what kind of like Amish, Pennsylvania. I mean, such a weird family. I love it. Oh, I love Moe's. Uh, this is our first glimpse into him in the first actual shot we have of him is him running through the screen like he we don't even linger on him he just sort of runs in the background and ryan says who is that dwight says ignore the the spirits of the barn or something to that effect and ryan says was that your cousin mose and dwight just says yes <laughs> um, <laughs> but mose is one of my favorite side characters from the whole series and I, I can't wait to talk about him more as we see more from him but uh we would be remiss, uh, we would be remiss, Katie, if we did not talk about Stanley and Pretzel Day. Oh, Pretzel Day. <laughs> we don't get a whole lot of happy Stanley, but pretzels do it. It's really the most eager or happy to do anything we've seen Stanley uh, have so far. 
Um, he's smiling. It's like it's the only thing he lives for or comes to work for. He even high fives Michael, who he up to this point has shown no liking for. And uh, they, they together team up to force Phyllis to the back of the line when she tries to cut in with Bob Vance. And the very last thing we see of the episode is Stanley have, having a talking head saying, 364 days till the next pretzel day. <laughs> he, <laughs> he lives for the pretzels and he is unashamed about it. It's great. Which is funny because go to any mall, <laughs> you can get a soft pretzel. But something about having one at work and it's free, I guess just that's what makes Stanley happy. And I mean, at least he has something to look forward to every year. So, hey. Yeah. He says, I wake up every morning in a bed that's too small, drive my daughter to a school that's too expensive, and then I go to work to a job for which I get paid too little. But on pet- but on pretzel day? Well, I like pretzel day. <laughs> and there's lots more in the deleted scenes I'm sure we're going to talk about. But uh, he he is so happy in this episode. And it's one of my, again, favorite Stanley moments. There's several throughout the series, but pretzel day Stanley is a real highlight. Well, speaking of deleted scenes, what do you have? Um, I thought it was worth pointing out that Jan actually told Michael about the hourly report that she was having Pam filled out. Fill out. I mean, he, she didn't tell him that she was giving it to Pam. She wanted him to fill it out for himself. And he was saying, you know, sometimes I zone in and sometimes I'm zoning out. And he's really just showing that he's not going to be reliable with giving an accurate report of what he does throughout the day. Um, so she takes the same form to Pam and it's, I don't know, Michael, maybe not thinking or tying, uh, two and two together to, to see, oh, the reason Pam is trying to get me to be so productive today is because she's trying to do the same thing that Jan mentioned earlier. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. And then Jan says something really harsh. Um, if you can account for your time, maybe corporate can justify your salary, which yeah, I mean, it it sounds like his job's in jeopardy if he doesn't get his act together. So, oh. yeah, maybe a demotion to salesman since that's the one thing he's really proven himself uh, adept at. There's a little talking head interview with Pam that I liked um, explaining that due to Ryan's sales call with Dwight today and how weird Dwight is. Basically, if Ryan's body is found in a heavily wooded area sometime in the near future. Then uh, she owes Jim $30. She says it, it, it's an old bet, but a deal's a deal. So it's it's always nice to hear her bring Jim up in these talking heads. We don't actually get a whole lot of that. We don't get a whole lot of talk of Jim at Scranton anymore, but a deal's a deal. Yeah, at the beginning of the episode before Dwight takes Ryan off, he walks into the uh, Michael's office and says, take a good look at this boy. And Michael responds, I always do. <laughs> And (laughs) Dwight finishes his thought with, because you're never going to see him again. And uh, there's a momentary panic. Michael says, if if you hurt one hair on his head, but then Dwight finishes the thought, because he's going to be a man when I bring him back, yada, yada. Michael comes up and he hugs Ryan tightly. And he does the whole Michael Scott face-to-face thing, rather than like the -the over-the-shoulder hug like you should, like everybody should, unless you're kissing a romantic other or something like that. Uh, But Michael is unashamedly got a man crush on Ryan. And so, of course, they he would look at him in the eyes while hugging him. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever done that. It seems very awkward. 
Yeah, it, um, it does. And yeah, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan shows it. <laughs> I love the deleted scenes with Ryan um, abandoned in the beat field talking about how when he thinks he's hit rock bottom, the floor seems to just open up and dump him on a new lower level. <laughs> and we see later Dwight and Ryan are walking through some woods in Dwight's land and Dwight happens upon some naked teenagers that are running away because presumably they've been having sex in his field. And we just see Ryan sort of miming that he's fallen down another level because this day just gets worse and worse and he feels worse and worse about himself. I I wrote down that specific moment as well. So I'm glad you mentioned it because he's really just second guessing (laughs) his life decisions that brought him to this point. It's great. The last deleted scenes I had to mention um, were Stanley related uh, because there was a moment where he stole Kevin's pretzel when he wasn't looking. Uh, Kevin momentarily set his pretzel down on the counter in the kitchen and was getting mustard out of the refrigerator. And Stanley speeds by and grabs it and tucks it in with his papers and makes his escape before Kevin even realizes it's gone. Um And then he has another talking head where he says, there are four things I love, my wife, my daughters, Pam Greer, and a hot, chewy roll of buttered dough. He, I I can't, like, I can't overemphasize how in love with pretzels Stanley appears to be. Uh, It's so great. And he even shares one last moment with Michael. Ed Stanley, Stanley Hudson, the grumpy old guy in sales, makes a that's what she said joke to Michael. (laughs) Michael says, they taste so good in my mouth, talking about the pretzels. And Stanley replies, that's what she said. And the laughter there is so genuine from Steve Carell. I almost wonder if Leslie David Baker improvised that line. It was just like the perfect storm of the maybe steve improvising a line or maybe it was just the way it was written and it just naturally came out of uh stanley in the moment i I don't know for sure it doesn't there's no real indication but it just seems so genuine and the laughter is so uh infectious that i i could almost swear that it was an improvised moment and i loved it it would not surprise me so there was a commentary for this episode as we briefly mentioned So we had B.J. Novak, we had Rain Wilson, and we had Leslie David Baker, who plays Stanley. I believe it was just those three. Uh, And I think this is the first time we've had Leslie on a commentary, which was neat. But B.J. wrote the episode, and B.J. and Rain were big parts of the episode, as was Stanley. But I think B.J. and Rain had some more significant plot points. So it was neat to have the three sort of main people in this commentary. BJ said at one point how hard it was for them to write for the Stanford branch, especially while A, for for the Scranton branch, because Jim was out of Scranton and he's such a big part of that team. And then B, writing for Stanford with an entirely new cast except for Jim. And so just kind of writing the same style, writing interesting enough things that that they were really struggling um, during this time in their writing. B.J. Novak also said that he would have a huge crush on Melora Hardin, uh, who plays Jan, if he didn't already know her, know that she was married, work with her, etc. But he thinks that she's rather sexy. When Pretzel Day is first announced over the loudspeakers, Stanley, of course, nearly sprints out. It's the fastest we've ever seen Stanley move. (laughs) And apparently, according to B.J. Novak, 
Steve Carell, they actually filmed him sprinting out of the room as well. But out of all the takes they filmed of him sprinting out, Steve Carell asked to try the the sort of saunter that made it into the episode where he just sort of slowly makes his way out of the office for, for pretzel day. Um, and it was apparently good enough or better even than the other takes that they left that version in rather than the sprinting. I think the contrast of having Stanley sprint and Michael saunter uh, makes it even funnier, to be honest. And then I think the last one I wanted to mention really was BJ Novak pointed out how brave of a show this is to end on about a minute of silence after an energetic comedy, no less. Um, ending the show with that phone call, um, or rather after the phone call with Jim and Pam, and they're both, all we really see is them putting on their coats, kind of locking up and walking away. Um, and then, of course, we have that last line from Stanley, you know. 364 days till the next pretzel day. But besides that, it was about a minute of silence, which is pretty scary, I feel like, to to end on uh, as an editor and as a writer. But it's, again, a darker episode, and I think they needed to uh, end it on sort of a downslope. I think the willingness to not shy away from silence is something that really set the office apart from other comedies or any other shows that had really been airing at this point everything else it was all about energy and keeping the pacing and keeping everything moving and everything's got to be happening and somebody's got to be saying this while this happens and the office was one of the first ones i'm not saying it's the first one but one of them uh that really popularized the awkward silence or not even an awkward silence sometimes just a uh, a poignant silence or a meaningful silence. Um, it, it's not the first time that here that that's happened in the show. There've been like way back in way back in healthcare when uh, Michael had promised a surprise and they literally made Steve Carell sweat it out for like five minutes at the end of the episode, trying to come up with some sort of surprise that was not going to be, be fulfilled. Uh, that was episode three of the series and they have not, shied away from that sense, which I think is great. I think it's unique. That is one of the reasons my parents do not watch The Office. They can't stand the awkward silence. I think it's <laughs> way too uh, way too realistic. But I, that's what makes me love this show. Well, I have a couple of questions for us for our discussion topic. Um, the first being, of the 18 pretzel toppings made available for the uh, office park workers, what would you top your pretzel with? All right. I got to say I'm cheating because I'm looking at a list here. <laughs> um, I'm going to say either peanut butter drizzle or maybe cinnamon sugar. It's a classic. Yeah. See, that's what, what about I you? think I would probably go with. Um, AMC theaters used to have cinnamon pretzels. Uh, behind the the snack counter at movie theaters and uh that used to be one of my go-to movie snacks was a cinnamon sugar pretzel and they're so so bad for you uh, i can't imagine so what good. michael was going through when he got the works <laughs> in this episode i mean that that sugar high and then subsequent crash must have been super intense uh but cinnamon sugar is i, I just love cinnamon things in general to be honest and uh that that, that probably would have been my choice of course, some of this doesn't sound, I mean, mint chip mixed with peanut butter drizzle mixed with cotton candy bits doesn't sound super appetizing, but I guess when <laughs> it's that much sugar, it's just, 
it doesn't matter at that point. Well, again, hearkening back to healthcare, Michael has shown that he's not very good with decisions. And That's so, true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when presented with 18 options, he's, his, his choice was just give me all of them. And yes. I, I bet back in healthcare, <laughs> if he could have, he would have said, give me all of them so I don't have to make the decision. <laughs> what was your other discussion topic today? Well, just for a little bit of context, during the three-hour phone call between Pam and Jim, uh, Jim says, hey, I have a question for you. What is your typing speed? And Pam says, oh, about 90. And Jim says, no way, shut up. And he was apparently trying to brag about his uh, typing speed, which is about 65 words per minute, to which Pam gives a good little chuckle. And maybe this is me just wanting to show off a little bit, but I was curious, Katie, (laughs) what is your typing speed? (laughs) Okay, so I did a few tests. I tried three times, and my average was 79 or 80 words per minute. Okay. Um, <laughs> what was yours? <laughs> See, now I feel guilty. Um, <laughs> my average was about 90, but I topped off at 103, I think. So. <laughs> okay, topping off at 100 words per minute <laughs> over here sheesh i think all that really means is that i spend too much time on the computer so <laughs> i'm not sure I mean, how, how much to brag <laughs> uh I, I have i guess we also have an advantage because i don't know about you but i had typing classes growing up in school i mean it was we were raised with computers so you know we have an advantage my my parents type well enough they're probably more on jim's level though <laughs> Yeah, I had a few typing classes over the years, but really uh, I learned the finger placements from school and then it was just excessive computer usage throughout middle and high school that built my typing speed. So uh, because back in middle school when I first really got into the internet, instant messaging was popular, blogging was popular, and I participated in both of those all the time. So it, it was either have really slow conversations or learn to type. And I went for the latter. So, Well, moving on to episode six of season three, Diwali, directed by Miguel Arteta and written by Mindy Kalig. It is Diwali, the Hindu festival of lights, and the Dunder Mifflin employees are joining Kelly Kapoor in attending a celebration of the holiday. Michael, during the event's gets caught up in the moment after he talks to Kelly's 30 years married parents and proposes to Carol, with whom he's on his ninth date, and she, of course, turns him down. Back at the Stanford branch, Jim, Karen, and Andy are staying late to do order form consolidation, and to pass the time, they are taking shots as they work. And at the very end of the night, Karen gives a very drunk Jim a ride home from work. Yeah, so this is another Michael-centric episode, um, making a fool of himself again, especially with Carol at this party. Um, I'm sure we'll get into more of that later, but he is, I'll, I'll spill the beans here, probably not the best day to propose to your girlfriend when you can do nothing but annoy her, and uh, that's what he does. Yeah, Michael is once again on a sort of diversity kick, um, hearkening back to episode three of the series with Diversity Day. And it's almost like he feels a little bit apologetic after the whole googie-googie thing that he did with Kelly at the end of the episode. And this is his way of sort of apologizing, uh, letting everybody off work early so that they can attend this 
celebration of this Hindu holiday with Kelly and her family. Um, so for so much of the day, he's super interested in celebrating diversity. Um, he says he's worried about his employees being terribly ignorant about other cultures. Yeah, not Michael. He's not worried about himself being ignorant. He's worried about everybody else, his employees, because he doesn't want to be embarrassed in front of his girlfriend, Carol, which, as you mentioned, he already does make a fool of himself at the Diwali celebration in front of Carol himself without anybody else's help. Um, but before that, at the conf- in the conference room, he gathers everybody. He gives this presentation on Indian culture. But because it's Michael, it's through the eyes of a v- very ignorant person's view on Indian culture. And so... He, he starts it by saying that Kelly is special, but not really because there are literally billions of Indian people just like her. And so he puts up pictures of stereotypical Indian things like the gods and goddesses of Hindu. And he he counts people like N. Night Shyamalan and Apu from The Simpsons among famous Indians. It really is just <laughs> the worst. And we say that a lot about Michael, but this is just another example of the worst. I almost feel like both of those words need to be uh, capitalized with a little trademark symbol afterwards, and it would just be used <laughs> to describe Michael Scott. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he even goes so far as to tell Carol that this is a costume party. We get a deleted scene with Kelly where Michael is making Kelly describe Diwali in three words or less. And she says, sort of crunched on words, she says an Indian Halloween, which it's not, but you know, that's the closest thing she could liken it to. And so Michael says, great, it's a costume party. And so he and Carol both show up in costume. Michael's, of course, is much more easily removed as it's his plaster head that goes on his shoulder. He can just rip the head off and he's in a suit. Carol, however, is dressed as a cheerleader and resents him the whole night for uh, being in costume at this celebration. This has only been this. She says it's their ninth date. And we really don't know how involved with each other they've been. In fact, there was once or twice in the first couple of episodes of season three where Michael says, yeah, we haven't talked in a little while. He wasn't really even sure of both of her children's names. So it it seems that they aren't as close as he would like them to be. Yes, they're still seeing each other every now and then, but it really isn't progressed further than just being casual dates. Um, and. It's really his fault that she shows up dressed as a cheerleader, but he blames her whenever somebody questions him about it later. Uh, I think it's Kelly's parents, actually. It says, how long have you been married to the cheerleader? And uh, he responds, oh, she's not a cheerleader. She thought it was a costume party. Like, I I had nothing to do with it. She thought it was a costume party, and she's the silly person who showed up dressed as a cheerleader. But for a guy who is so uh, interested in diversity and is interested in the culture of Hinduism and Indian people, he is upset that they don't have s'mores. He thinks the samosas are s'mores. And instead of chocolate marshmallow graham cracker goodness, he gets this spicy Indian cuisine. And he says in this brief talking head, chocolate graham uh, marshmallow, how hard would that have been? (laughs) Like he expected there to be s'mores for some reason. Uh, Michael as open to other cultures as he claims to be, uh, he really is ignorant of what it, what the culture involves and what the cuisine might be and uh, anything beyond just what he's used to. 
And of course, then comes the proposal to Carol in the middle of the party. He has the mic. Could not be a worse place to propose to someone, especially after the ninth date. And she, of course, says, hey, can we talk about this somewhere else? And as they're walking away, Michael says, I just like you so much. <laughs> like, you've been with her for, you know, maybe a couple of months, a few months. And you don't even love her yet. Maybe not the time to uh, to be getting married. And then when she's leaving, he tries to go with her because he has a comp- he has a copy of the Kama Sutra, <laughs> <laughs> which he got at work and is not. No, she's she just rejected your marriage proposal. Stop. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very impulsive, even for Michael and trying to think of of what would drive him to such a rash, quick decision. Um, he just had this conversation with Kelly's parents, and he's impressed that they've been uh, married for 30 years. They only met once prior to the wedding, so it was an arranged marriage. And so he decides to uh, propose. I guess he thinks that if these two people can love each other and still be together 30 years later after having only met once, then we've been on nine dates so we can, we can last three times as long It's sort of the Michael Scott line of thinking, or at least that's what I assume. Um, but like I said, she says no, because they don't know each other well enough. And because Michael is making a fool of himself all over the place. Uh, I, I feel bad for him a tiny bit, tiny, tiny bit, but not really all that much. And then of course he tries to kiss Pam outside the party after Carol's left. I guess, you know, he just thought that they had a little moment of friendship and she went out there and they were talking and, and they were chatting. And again, impulsivity. I think he was just feeling desperate and, and sad that Carol left, which brings me to Pam a little bit. So in that same scene where, where Michael tries to kiss Pam, as Pam is walking out in the beginning of that scene, she's checking her phone and Michael says, are you expecting a call? And she says no. And then a few minutes into that scene, she says, I kind of thought something was going to happen tonight, too. Now, I wanted to ask you, Chad, what do you think that's about? Because, yeah, she she had said earlier in this episode that, you know, it, it's maybe time for her to get back out there. Or maybe that was in the, in the deleted scenes. But she she clearly, you know, wants to get back out there, maybe start dating. And she's dancing with somebody at the Diwali celebration. But I'm not sure why she's checking her phone and thinking that maybe something was going to happen. See, earlier in the episode, she had gotten her phone out, I think, as well. Um, She was dancing with a guy and they were having a good time. But then she just said, hey, can I I'll be right back. Can I step out for a minute? And she gets out her phone and she sends a text. And then we cut to Stanford, where Jim is taking a little nap and his phone vibrates. So... It, oh, implied, I totally missed that. Yeah, it's implied that she was trying to get in contact with Jim. So clearly that conversation they had in the previous episode was having some sort of effect on her. I don't know what exactly was going through her mind. Maybe she was just thinking, well, we had such a good time. Maybe things can get back to normal. I don't know. But um, she's checking her phone for a response. Now, what she expected from that, aside from just a conversation, maybe. I don't know. Clearly, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't think she would be irrational enough to think that he would drive out there that night to meet up with her. Um, but this is just 
another instance, I think, of them getting the timing all wrong. Uh, Jim was in love with her while she was engaged to uh, Roy, and he left because of it. And now Pam appears to maybe be having some sort of feelings or is at least trying to just rekindle the friendship they had. And she's missing out because Jim is uh, asleep drunk. (laughs) See, I totally missed that. So I'm glad you said that. And then, of course, with Pam, Roy, at the beginning of this episode or towards the beginning, had asked who was going to the celebration, you know, whether he should bother showing up. Is Pam going to be there, essentially? And then he does show up and sees Pam dancing with with a different guy and leaves without saying anything. And Roy is all dressed up. He's wearing a suit. He looks nice. Um, so here we see Roy making an effort again. Yeah, he's, sim- he, he's definitely more dressed up than he was, for example, when Pam's mom stopped by the Scranton branch. Um, and he like threw on a sweater over his work clothes or something like that. He was It wasn't very... Uh, fancy and here he really is putting in a lot more effort so uh he's missing out or he missed out rather um but he is trying still and he is pursuing pam and everybody else realizes it kevin teases him uh in the the kitchen area because he knows that roy is asking who's going because he's wanting to know if pam's going um Now, one thing about Pam that I just wanted to mention, because it seemed very uncharacteristic. Um, First off, she debated the whole episode whether she was going to even show up at all. She didn't have anybody to go with, and she really didn't want to go by herself. Uh, But when she first does show up, she makes this uncharacteristically mean joke about Carol. She says, hey, at least I'm not dressed like a slutty cheerleader. And she asks the camera person, I'm sorry, was that mean? And I was just thinking, yeah, Pam, it was a little mean. Like, what, what, why is that called for? Like, what, what is the point of doing that? Carol's done nothing. Carol's a perfectly nice person. Um, I don't know if she's just bitter that she's there alone and Carol's there with Michael. Uh, I don't know. But uh, I was just thinking to myself, I couldn't help thinking that it was just a little bit mean and unusually mean for Pam. Yeah, and I could see if it was someone maybe that had, you know, slighted her or, I don't know, the girlfriend of one of her enemies or something. But it's the girlfriend of Michael. She she barely knows Carol. Michael's definitely not her enemy by any means. He's her, you know, annoying boss. But yeah, that, that was a little out of character. But at least she caught herself, I guess. The only other character I had to mention as far as, like, learning about them goes, uh, Angela continues her uh, bitterness by just being offended by even the notion of Diwali and going to this event because of the Hindu belief in many gods, as opposed to her Christian view of monotheism. Um, But she does go despite her objections and maybe she's just going to keep an eye on Dwight uh, who she has seen Kelly kiss before Uh, wasn't reciprocated, but Kelly did kiss him. Um, And this event is celebrating Kelly's culture. So uh, earlier in the episode, Kelly had suggested to Dwight or to Pam that the two of them go together because they're both single. And Dwight confirms and says, yes, I'm totally single and 100% available. And Angela just sort of glares over her partition because, yes, they're not together. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But they're totally together and she's jealous. Uh, So I wonder if she went partially to keep an eye on him and make sure that he was being faithful. 
And I think the last thing I wanted to mention really wasn't a character interaction as much as it was just an editing note. They um, wrapped up this episode a bit with um, the car rides. So Jim is in the back of Karen's car and Michael is in the back of Pam's car. The one in the back is sort of the one in in more trouble at this point. And so um, I just thought it was an interesting parallel, I guess. I don't see that they have a whole lot in common, but it was a nice editing touch at least. Yeah, I didn't even think about how that was happening at the same time. So it's a good catch. So on to some funny moments for this episode. Um, I like that when Ryan is wearing his, quote, dress, as Michael calls it, when the women start complimenting him, Michael wants one for himself. How convenient. <laughs> right. I, I mentioned that as well. He, he man, such a man crush. That's all it is. It's, Ryan's wearing it. Oh, man, that's that's got to be the hip new style. I want one now. <laughs> um Right before that, Michael refers to Kelly as one of our most ethnic co-workers, <laughs> which is Michael ignorance, but it made me chuckle. Uh, but one Michael <laughs> yeah. moment that I really did appreciate is his ending moment singing uh, his parody of Adam Sandler's Eight Crazy Nights, which is a Hanukkah song, um, but he has repurposed it for Diwali and everyone enjoys it. They applaud him and they're genuinely happy about it. It's not something that he uh, was painfully doing much to everybody else's chagrin. Everybody had a good time and gave genuine applause and cheers. Um, and just because it involves him being at the microphone, there was something I meant to mention er, meant to mention earlier. Um, I was going through time hop. I go through time hop every day because I get posts from things I've done in the past. And last year I was apparently watching through the office at this time as well. And I think I watched this episode just over a week ago, uh, or yeah, just over a year and a week ago. And I mentioned that huh. I bet the writers resolved that any situation where a microphone would be present, Michael is going to pick it up. And I, I mean, so yeah. far we've seen him on like booze cruise, yeah. grab the microphone, um, I'm, that's the one that comes to my head immediately. But then in this episode as well, Chili's. yeah, Chili's. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Here he is grabbing the microphone at a party that he has no involvement in. He's just an attendee, but still he grabs a microphone and he proposes to Carol and here he is performing his version of eight crazy nights. Uh, so I, I just think it's an interesting thing and something to maybe watch out for is do we see a microphone? Is Michael grabbing it? Yep. Okay. That holds true. Yeah, that would not surprise me. He uh, he likes the attention, definitely. A moment that made me laugh that I never actually really caught until I watched it with uh, with subtitles, as I do when I'm preparing for the podcast, um, is when Kelly's sisters liken Ryan to Zach Braff, but in Hindi. Um, <laughs> I didn't catch it, especially since when Ryan is complaining to Kelly about it, he sort of says under his breath, he says, they said something about Zach Braff, but I'd never caught that. And it made me laugh a lot when I realized what they were saying. Yeah, because I guess this was sort of in the middle of Scrubs, wasn't it? Or Scrubs had been going on for a little while. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me if, if it was. I'm not sure of their dates, but yeah. Yeah, it ran from 2001 to 2010. So yeah. this was smack dab in the middle of uh, Scrubs run. So yeah. Yeah, culturally relevant at the time. Um, now, there wasn't a whole lot of character building kind of stuff that was happening with Jim and the rest of the Stanford lot. Uh, 
At the beginning of the episode, Jim shows up to work super sweaty because he decided to take his bike to work to save on gas money and because Josh shows up to work on his bike. Uh, But it's a little bit more athletic than Jim was planning, I think, and he is drenched in sweat. And then at the end of the night, after they have gotten very drunk and before they start to try to leave, Andy is laying on the floor behind his desk and is singing Closer to Fine by the Indigo Girls. And Karen shuts him up, says, hey, stop it. No acapella, Andy. (laughs) And he starts up the song again anyways. And then Jim joins in. And Andy gets super excited and impressed that Jim knows the song. And I mean, I don't know the song, so I guess I should be impressed too. Um, but it's just a a funny moment where the two of them are singing drunkenly singing together. Uh, and Karen does not appreciate it very much. Shows, I guess, Jim fitting into that office. It's starting to become his new home a little bit and, uh, a little painful. I remember on my first watch of the show to see him kind of get comfortable somewhere else. Yeah. And there, there are those, those few, uh, meaningful smiles sent Jim's way by Karen, uh, throughout the episode, but nothing super meaningful happening between them aside from just spending time together. And then of course, Jim leaving with Karen at the end of the night, probably just to take him home. It's probably completely innocent, but Hey, it's the first time they're in a car together. I do love drunk Jim trying to bike home and failing before he (laughs) even gets to the street. (laughs) He falls on the sidewalk into the bushes. Yeah, it's just, and he goes maybe two feet, and then he just face plants into the bushes. It's great. <laughs> as far as deleted scenes go, I just wanted to mention that Michael included Ben Kingsley in his famous Indian person slideshow. Uh, for starters, Ben Kingsley is not Indian. He portrayed <laughs> Mahatma Gandhi in the movie Gandhi. And Michael doesn't mention that part. He says, because of him, the British left India and then he became an actor like Ronald Reagan. <laughs> not the correct order of events there, Michael. No. That, that's not <laughs> how that works. He is already an actor and he's portraying an Indian man. And those events took place within the context of the film. Uh, but it, it was just, again, it, it's sort of like when he was when, when he was thinking of himself as disabled after he had burned his foot. Uh, the injury, and he puts people like Forrest Gump on the wall as a disabled person. That's not how that works. It's not true. Uh, it's it's just Michael being Michael. <laughs> There's a talking head interview deleted scene where Michael explains that he must celebrate all holidays, um, even the ones that he didn't, even the ones that he wouldn't necessarily celebrate. Uh, in order not to further offend his co-workers who have been offended because of, quote, insensitivity in corporate, <laughs> not from Michael himself. he uh, He's blaming the higher ups in corporate on uh, all of this insensitivity when we all know that it was actually Michael. Yeah, Michael blaming Mr. Brown again for his subpar, quote unquote, uh, diversity training. <laughs> Michael thinking that his was the right way to go. But uh, again, I mentioned earlier, deleted scenes. uh, It shows that clip from Diversity Day of Michael yelling in Kelly's face and being super racist and then her slapping him. Uh, But he's trying to ignore that memory in favor of blaming corporate. (laughs) Um, Pam has a very brief deleted uh, deleted scene talking head where she says, uh, or she admits that sometimes she really, really, really misses Jim. 
and that's all the talking head is. It's real quick, but uh, she she misses him. And uh, speaking of Jim, they order takeout sushi uh, while they're working late. And Andy grabs the tuna and hands it to Jim because big tuna. But Jim ordered the eel sushi, not the tuna sushi. And Andy says, didn't see that coming. (laughs) That's what happens (laughs) when you give somebody a nickname based off of the food item that they eat only on the first day of work. But that's Andy for you. I love the talking head with Angela where she explains that since she is head of the party planning committee, she is obligated to attend all office parties, even the ones that she doesn't agree with, even the ones that aren't aren't culturally relevant to her. Um, Even ones, if they were held in hell, she would have to go to them and she would be praying for everyone there, sort of (laughs) insinuating that she is praying for everyone here. Yeah, it's just Angela being just a little bit... uh... Extra, I guess, is what people say nowadays. She's being a little extra. much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carol at the Diwali celebration approaches Ryan and says, you must be Ryan. They've never met face to face. She just recognizes him because of Michael's description, because he talks about her or he talks about Ryan all the time. And he she she knows that he's the top of his class in night school. She knows the street that he lives on. And Ryan is probably surprised that Michael knows the street that he lives on. That's probably a warning flag. And then Dwight is standing right next to Ryan. And he says, what about what about me? Does Michael ever talk about me? And Carol very obviously lies because, no, Michael doesn't talk about Dwight. Uh, but she says, yes, he says he loves you. He says, I love him. <laughs> it, it's just her doing a bit of quick cover up to to make Dwight feel not not so bad, I guess. Speaking of the whole Michael Ryan relationship, I think it's implied in the deleted scenes that Michael took Ryan's shoes because back in the actual episode, while he was in Pam's car on the way home, Michael says, "These aren't my shoes." And then in the deleted scenes, after Ryan has dressed out of his uh, kurta and is looking for his shoes. He says, I can't find my shoes. So I at least, I I made that connection. I don't know if that was an implied connection. Maybe, I I don't know. But I just sort of assumed based on the deleted scene that Michael took Ryan's shoes. And it would make perfect sense if he did. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Lastly, uh, the, the deleted scene sort of closed off with Dwight assuring Angela that the only thing he loves about India is the culture. Because... Something we didn't mention because there wasn't a whole lot to say about Dwight in the episode. But Dwight shows up dressed in full Indian garb and he looks very at home in it. He's very comfortable with the food and with the the enjoyment of the party. Uh, He's very into it. And that further worries Angela. But like I said, he convinces her in this deleted scene that the culture is the only thing that he loves about India And he makes up an excuse to come with her to her house. He says he's got upset stomach from all the spicy food. Uh, Would you happen to have Pepto-Bismol at your house, Angela? Because there are people walking by, so they have to be discreet. Uh, Would you happen to have some that I could come by and borrow? And so he goes inside, grabs his shoes, and they go back to her place. And we assume have sex. On that note. (laughs) (laughs) Um, i have our discussion topic for today uh for this episode rather 
Are there any unlikely holidays that you and your family celebrate or any holidays that you celebrate in a unique way? I'm trying to think of any unique holidays and I I don't really think I have any, not off the top of my head. Of course, right after we finish recording, I'm going to think of something. But as far as unique holiday traditions, uh, like for Thanksgiving, um, my family and I go camping for that week. So next Tuesday, uh, we will be driving out to Lake Tawakonee State Park, and we will be enjoying each other's company for four or five days uh, out in the campgrounds. And we fix a full Thanksgiving meal while out camping, and it's a lot of fun. So there's that. And then uh, my own personal little Christmas tradition, I always wake up early Christmas morning and watch the Polar Express uh, before anybody else wakes up. So that's a fun little tradition of my own, but uh, nothing like Diwali, I suppose. Uh, what about you? <laughs> I don't have a whole lot. We we celebrate pretty traditionally, except for uh, Christmas Eve. My mom makes, instead of a Basically, which a lot of people do, it seems, is do basically an, a, another whole Christmas feast, but on Christmas Eve, and they have two separate ones. We will do a Mexican food Christmas Eve. We're from Texas, so that's an important cultural part of our uh, upbringing, <laughs> I'm sure. So, But it's all red and green themed. So we'll often have like green enchiladas and raspberry margaritas or something like that. Lots of red and green food, but all Mexican cuisine. Interesting, uh, non-traditional, but a lot of fun and really good food. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. It reminds me of uh, uh, annual Christmas tradition that we always celebrate with some family friends. Uh, my grandparents and mom and uncle uh, had some next door neighbors back when my parent or my mom was a kid, and uh, they've celebrated Christmas together every year, not on Christmas Day, but in some capacity at some point around Christmas time. They've celebrated Christmas every year for. 30 some odd years. And uh, we still do that. And it's always around Christmas time. Um, and we fix brisket and a barbecue kind of stuff. And it's always a lot of fun. That's something every year of my life we've done that. So uh, it's still ongoing. Uh, now I'm all excited for Christmas. Can't let it happen <laughs> yet. As I said, we're not there. <laughs> no, uh, but I hit play on Frank Sinatra's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas Midnight After Thanksgiving. That is that is the beginning yep. of Christmas for me. Okay, um, this is going to be obviously released on Thursday. And then a week after that is Thanksgiving. So get ready. Yes, we, we are almost there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that brings it to the end of our official 18th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. You can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes and email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place for me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And I have my other podcast called Cinescope, the Cinescope podcast, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. And you can find that at its website, thecinescopepodcast.com. You can find show notes and all contact information at workplacepodcast.com. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 18 of An American Workplace. 
Make sure to join us in episode 19 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season three, branch closing and the merger. Bye.